Hello, this is Coming to the Mat, podcast from the Melanesian Women Today Impact Service Series. Told through the lens of everyday, ordinary Pacific Island women, the Mat series seeks to break cultural barriers and invite listeners to hear real human stories of making a difference. The stories you will hear from the series balance diverse interests and weave together the story of courageous women who dedicate their lives to making a difference in their communities and country. Coming to the Mat series is a safe space that allows for women in the Pacific to use their voices. It also explores the integral aspects of women's lives all across the South Pacific and gives the listener a window into the many different issues women face through storytelling. Especially the women, we want to empower them to, you know, take a lead role. And so we, we, we're going to have this network of women all across Melanesia that are actually, you know, doing something for their communities. And we can empower each other and um, work as a team across Melanesia as a whole. everyone and welcome to Coming to the Mat and this is Dr. Mera Tarisovic, your host. Here on Coming to the Mat podcast, we like to engage leading thinkers to take their seat on the mat with us so we can talk about the kind of transformations required to create a more sustainable, peaceful and just world. So this is the conversation we'll be having today. As an indigenous-based organization, we like to seek out leading thinkers in the region of Melanesia to come on the mat and talk to us or tell us uh, their stories of how they are using their traditional and indigenous knowledge combining with Western science to combat some of the big environmental issues faced today, obviously by climate change as a result of human activities that are harmful to our natural ecosystems. So we are going to talk about the role of indigenous and traditional knowledge and Western science, especially when looking at adaptation and ways of adaptation to to climate change. So um, looking at traditional and indigenous knowledge and Western science and ecosystem-based adaptation, and especially when, when we look at marine conservation. Things like human activities, such as overfishing, Climate change have been known to cause coral bleaching and overfishing as a result of overpopulation, uh, causing the number of fish to plummet and slowly breaking down 
the biodiversity if we or if we do not have proper ecosystem-based adaptation plans in place to manage the ecosystem in a more sustainable way. So what can we do about it? Well, some form of protection is obvious if we think about the coral reefs as the rainforest of the sea, like tropical rainforest. Coral reefs provide life and habitats for many different types of species of reef buildings, uh, corals that inhabits all the different marine species in the sea. Therefore, it is important, very crucial, that there is this precious rainforest of the sea are protected and not going extinct. So there needs to be ways to do that. So we need a form of ecosystem plans, adaptation plan that needs to be implemented in order to protect these coral reefs, particularly when we look at the seas of the South Pacific. And today we're going to look at um, the marine lives of the sea of Melanesia around the Pacific, in the Pacific region. So around the world, people are finding ways to do just that by using different approaches of ecosystem-based adaptation. So EBA, for short for ecosystem-based adaptation, is a climate adaptation approach that delivers, has proven to deliver multiple benefits to communities, especially those living in the coastal areas, if we're looking at marine conservation. So simply put, we need to create marine protected areas. This approach is commonly used to help communities living on the coastal areas in the islands and elsewhere to adopt, adapt to climate change. This method involves how we manage or the management of ecosystem, obviously, when it comes to marine conservation being one of them, and their services to reduce the vulnerability of human communities to the impacts of the many impacts of climate change. One of those climate change adaptation approaches is by community um, involvement, so community-based projects. They can also, there are two advantage for having a community-based project to, to do this, or ways of adapting to climate change, is that it strengthens the ecosystems and deliver, especially the ecosystems that deliver critical services to, to the community, and two, it enhances the community resiliency. Uh, by working together and also working together with the indigenous people in these communities, especially in the coastal area, and allowing them to take care of their own marine environment by using their traditional knowledge combining with science or Western science. And this is exactly where one group of indigenous women are doing. And we are happy to have one of the team leader on the mat here with us today to tell us more about their work and what they're doing to do just that. The Sea Women of Melanesia is a group of indigenous women who are trained to safeguard coral reefs under the threat from climate change. And one of the marine ecosystems, in particular in this part of the region, in Melanesia, and in, in this part of the Pacific, especially in the, it's, uh, that of the Eastern Coral Triangle. So the Eastern Coral Triangle, or sometimes known known as TC or CT, sorry, is a roughly triangular area in the tropical areas around Indonesia, Malaysia, Papua New Guinea, the Philippines, Solomon Islands, and East Timor-Leste. It, it is a complex marine ecosystem ever to have evolved on Earth, and, and it is very precious, so it is, we cannot afford to lose this. So over 25% of all marine species live in coral reefs, and they also provide coastal protection from waves and storms and floods. 
in about 70, but the last 70 years, half of the world's reef have been lost. And it has been predicted, it's predicted and likely that 90%, if nothing's done, 90% of the reef, coral reef, world's coral reefs are likely to disappear by 2050 due to climate change. So the sea women of Melanesia are doing their best to try and protect these marine lives through their work of marine conservation with their communities. Again, the Sea Women of Melanesia is a group of indigenous divers from Papua New Guinea and the Solomon Islands who give women in the South Pacific region the skills to monitor the health of the corals and create and restore marine protected areas. Their main objective is to empower indigenous women in this part of the world, in Melanesia, particularly in the country of Papua New Guinea and the Solomon Islands, with training skills, training and skills and equipment resources that they need to take on as they take on active roles in helping their indigenous communities or their communities around the coastal areas to create and manage their marine protected areas on their own coral reefs. So we are very happy to have Naomi Longa, who is joining us on the mat today from Papua New Guinea. Naomi is from Papua New Guinea, from the island of New Britain, and she is a team leader for the Sea Women of Melanesia program based in Kimbe and Manus. She's the youngest of six children. She grew up in the Bismarck Sea, and um, she knows a lot about the sea, especially the Kimbe Bay uh, reefs. And so she was so inspired by, this, by the sea that she went on to obtain a Bachelor of Science in Biology, uh, especially with the, at the University of Papua New Guinea. And she completed her uh, scuba diving instructor qualification. And she's now training uh, women in the Solomon Islands and in Papua New Guinea since she's been training them since 2019. So over more than 25 women who's already gone through the program, particularly in Milan Bay and Kimbe and Munda. And she has also taken up roles of talking about the role of indigenous women, especially in marine conservation and at international events, especially in Australia and her home country of Papua New Guinea. And last year, she was awarded a Blue Ribbon Foundation Award for um, her recognition of her work uh, with the Sea Women of Melanesia as the uh, local hero of 2021. So welcome, Naomi. I'm so happy to have you on the mat. And we're excited to learn more about what Sea Women of Melanesia are doing and excited to hear more about how um, the, the work that you're doing is helping or how the team is doing a marvelous job in helping to protect our marine uh, lives and conservation in the um, Papua New Guinea area and the Solomon Islands. So welcome to Coming to the Mat. Exactly who are these sea women of Melanesia? Well, let's find out. So welcome Naomi Longa. Uh, she's joining me on the mat from Papua New Guinea. Yeah, hi. <laughs> Good to be here. 
It's, it's so good. So tell us about, maybe we should start with yourself and a little bit about your background and then we can go into us uh, talking more about the sea women of Melanesia and who are they, what are their objective and how did you become part of this uh, amazing group of organization of women? Yeah. All right, sure. So my name is Naomi Longa. Um, I'm one of the team leaders of Sea Women of Melanesia Inc. And I am also um, managing the Coral Sea Foundation Sea Women of Melanesia program in Melanesia. So um, I have a Bachelor of Science degree um, from the University of Papua New Guinea. And I have joined the Sea Women of Melanesia program in 2018 as a volunteer. So from there, um, I went on to um, do my dive trainings. The first um, dive training I do, I did it back here in Papua New Guinea, and the rest of the dive uh, trainings I completed it in um, Australia and Solomon Island. So I'm also one of the um, open water scuba dive instructor with um, the Sea Women of Melanesia program. Mm -hmm. So the Sea Women of Melanesia program. Um, empowers indigenous women with the training, skills, and resources that they need to create and monitor marine reserve in their own community. So uh, with that program, we train women to do um, coral reef survey. And during um, our training, they identify um, areas where it's suitable to um, set up for marine reserve and also we train them with um, um, coral reef survey techniques. So they use pictures of the reef and um, that will help us to help them identify those areas as well. And those pictures are geotagged. So if you, if, you, um, if you insert those pictures in your computer, you can actually see the exact locations of um, the areas that they took the pictures from. And wow. also, yeah, and also um, we donate, uh, we help those communities by um, supporting, supporting them through donating um, humanitarian aid, such as um, educational resources and first aid kits and tougher things. So some of these areas are very like far from the areas that they can access water supply, even islands. So we, we help them, we support them by donating those stuff to um, continue to uh, manage their marine reserve. Mm. So that's basically what we do. So a little bit about yourself. I know you, you said you um, went to school to study uh, marine biology, right? Yeah. Okay, and then you had a little bit of training in Australia. Yeah. And you're a certified scuba diver instructor. Yeah. Yeah. So what was it with your passion behind this ocean? Because <laughs> I think that's what I want to know. Like how, how did the, you become so passionate about the ocean? Yeah. Okay, thank you. So um, it all started back in my early days. So my mm -hmm. mom and my dad, they're from a coastal area. And my dad is a great fisherman. So mm. he used to take me out to the sea when I was still a toddler. 
So I used to spend most of my days in the sea, swimming, just diving, looking at the reefs and wondering, you know, why they're so colorful and all that. So I guess my, my interest or my passion started from that early age. Mm. So from there, I went on to take up science in secondary schools. And then it all ended up in university, me taking biology and environmental science and geography. Mm -hmm. just to study the marine environment and understand how it works. So it, it has always been my interest to study marine life and mm -hmm. uh, marine science, basically. Right. So, yeah. And then from so, uni, mm -hmm. yes, so from uni, I, I went on to volunteer with Coral Sea Foundation. Mm -hmm. And then it just all bloomed from there. Nice. That's yeah. a beautiful story. So, do you live? Uh, I'm assuming you live very close to the, to the beach. Then, I mean, your community or your village where you're from. Yeah. Tell us about right. your village or your community. Do, are they the sea people? Because I know in the Pacific we have group of you know inland because Papua yeah. New Guinea is so big, and then yeah. you have the coastal area. So yeah, my village is not far from the sea. It's a few minutes away from the sea. So uh, most of the people in the village, they, they fish and women collect shells from the mangroves, men go out fishing. So it's not far. And then uh, we have another village just next to the shore where, um, sorry, my dad was a um, he was a teacher, primary school teacher. So oh. back then he was, um, he was at that school near the sea. So right. I used to live with him and spend mm. most of my days after school or even during the weekends just to go out in the sea, swimming and diving. Mm. And yeah, mm. doing all that stuff. So yeah, it all started so, back then. So would you say that a lot of the people in the coastal area make the living of fishing? Um, yeah, so our community is um, not far from um, the town here. So mm -hmm. I, I come from um, the New Britain Island in right. uh, Papua New Guinea, so mm -hmm. uh, West New Britain province. Right. So um, yeah, my village is not far from the town. So people, I would say people um, depend on the sea and the forest mm -hmm. and also from the, they get their food and resources from the um, town as well. Oh. So it's sort of like they are in a in a middle in the middle of um, um, choosing between going to the forest or to the sea or even to the shops. So most of them, like they usually catch the fish and then they sell it and buy other things and goods and services from the shops. Right. So are you based in Kimbe and yes. Manus? Okay. I am from Kimbe and my mother is okay. from Manus province. Okay, so you are based in Kimbe and Manus, and then you're the youngest of six children? Yes, I am. Oh, you uh -huh. seem to know a lot about <laughs> I'd like to know about this fascinating young women. <laughs> yes, yes. So I'm the youngest of the six. Um, I have four brothers and a sister. Uh, yeah, so we are all living here in um, Kimbe. One of my brothers is in um, another province, Medang province, and um, all my other siblings are here. 
Within so, that. so are they just as much passionate about the marine uh, conservation as you are, or are you are the storyteller of the house about everything you do? <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, growing up, we all we all used to um, follow dad around, going mm -hmm. to the sea, and yeah, mm -hmm. spending some time with him. But mm -hmm. I think most of the time, I used to, you know, go out with him almost everywhere. So um, I guess out of um, six of us, I am the one that's more passionate about um, the marine environment and um, are willing to conserve this marine environment. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. So my other siblings, they, they chose another um, jobs. My, mm -hmm. my big sister is a doctor and um, mm -hmm. my other brother, they are working in other sectors, but I am like the only one working with conservation now. So you're saving uh -huh. the world. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so in your, in your opinion, why is marine conservation essential for the livelihood of a community? So um, let's say in, in Pacific um, region, uh, we are living um, on the islands. So most of our people that are living on the coast directly depend on our natural resources like the coral reef, Mm -hmm. or even in the, in the inland areas, they depend on the uh, forest for resources. So we, most of us, we depend entirely on those resources. So I, I believe it's important to save, conserve those resources with population booming. And um, there's more people extracting resources from the natural environment. And yeah, at some point we need to stop and think about ways to actually conserve those resources. So for example, in Sea Women of Melanesia, we have this 30% rule where um, we tell the community that um, if you want to conserve um, your coral reef for your future generation, that um, we have this 30% um, rule where our very own scientists um, with the Coral Sea Foundation, they found out that if you conserve a 30% of your reef, then this 30% can actually um, populate over time the fish stock in those areas can populate the whole reef and the mm. people can benefit benefit from those um, um areas so only the 30 percent you have to um strictly tell everyone not to fish in those areas so it's a mm. no-take zone they can just um uh, look after it monitor it and um, let the fish and the resources in those areas populate the other areas where people mm. can go and fish from so mm. yeah I believe it's important to, um, yeah, practice those um, practices in our community. Yeah. So, how do you see a traditional knowledge and um, traditional or indigenous knowledge combined with the, the the kind of system that you were just talking about? How do this? blend in together, like where exactly does the indigenous knowledge come in to play in conserving marine uh, conservation areas? Yeah, so um, from my experience, uh, when mm -hmm. I go to the communities and I talk about conservation, um, I usually explain in local language. So when I said conservation, they, they and I explain to them what it is, they already know what it is because right. they've been practicing that over time. From, so, for thousands um, of years. Yes. <laughs> so our generation have been practicing that over time and they know what it is. 
But like I said, with, um, with the science that we know about the deficient rule and all that, now we can combine the, in, the information, the traditional knowledge that they already have, and then mm -hmm. we can combine both and help them. Like we can say to them like, yes, traditional knowledge is very important. There is some um, um, consequence, there is some pros and cons, and also mm -hmm. science, we have that as well. Mm -hmm. But if you combine both of them, it can actually drive conservation work forward. And we explain to them how it works and all that. So you can, you can see from their faces, the elders would say, um, yeah, we've, we've noticed the fish stock coming down and we've been practicing this. Like uh, we usually put an area like under tabu, a restricted area. Mm -hmm. And then over time, when, when there's fish and there's shells and other organisms that we can see uh, uh, are actually in there, then we tell the communities to go and fish from those, uh, those areas. But then I usually tell them that, yes, that's a great idea. But the downside is, the downside is once you harvest everything from that area, it takes a lot of time for that to regenerate mm -hmm. again. So I usually tell them, but if you only conserve 30% of that area and mm -hmm. over time you can continue to fish and the fish in those 30% area can populate mm -hmm. and you will continue to fish over and over again. So this is the idea we've been telling our partner communities about and you can see the elders go like, wow, we, we love that idea. We want to, you know, walk with you and we want to mm -hmm. have our marine reserve in place as well. We want this. Mm -hmm. So yeah. So when you go in, do you work with the traditional landowner first as a consultation, or do you have the whole entire community come together or a village come together? Which yeah, how do so, you do that? Yeah. So I usually contact the elders of the village, or they also have um, the ward member and all the other leaders in the community. So I usually contact them upfront and then tell them about what. Um, we're going to talk about and all that. And then they usually invite us to their community meetings. Mm -hmm. And then from the community meetings, I usually talk to the whole community about okay. um, the marine reserve and the benefits of creating those marine reserves. And so mm -hmm. far in all communities that I've visited, no one has ever come to me and say, we don't want the idea. They all want to create their own marine reserve and they want us to help them. And at the mm -hmm. moment, we have more communities requesting us to go in there than the people, the capacity of human resources we have in order wow. to cater for all those um, requests coming in. Wow. So, yeah. So you work in Papua New Guinea. And of course, we talk about Melanesia, but here we're focusing on Papua New Guinea and the Solomon Islands. And I'm fascinated because uh, I think there is uh, like a triangle, a coral triangle that is specifically focused on that. And I know that the founder of Coral Sea Foundation, Dr. Andy Lewis, yes. who's uh, from that comes Sea of uh, Women of Melanesia. Yes. So how do you identify uh, the different groups in the Solomon Islands and in Papua New Guinea, the women or the girls uh, that you work with? So um, we started off with Papua New Guinea. Uh, we mm -hmm. get um, women, especially the ones that um, completed a uni degree and mm -hmm. they're passionate about marine, marine science and marine conservation. 
So we usually get those women from uni, the ones that are recently graduating or the ones that graduated in the past and are looking for a job. We, we um, invite those women to take part in the program. And also um, there are areas where they have really good coral reefs and it's um, ideal for marine reserve, but they don't have um, any women or anyone in the community that actually like completed college or um, uni. So we usually just randomly select um, young girls from those communities and then we engage them, we train them um, with coral reef survey techniques through our training program. And then, um, yeah, we get them involved through the program. That's the same mm -hmm. as in Solomon Island. So in Solomon okay. Island, we actually we actually go there, and um, mm -hmm. um, one of our partner partner um, Dave Munda in Western Province of Solomon Island, they mm -hmm. help us select um, few women from the villages nearby, and mm -hmm. we train them. So yeah. Do you find do you find that women are more interested, or is it both men and women in this program? Uh, yeah. So. So in the program, we are only training the women, but I can see like in the past couple of weeks, I've seen requests from um, our male, mm -hmm. yeah, from male uh, colleagues as well. Like they, they wanted to join, they wanted to um, take part in the program. And I said to them, hey, I'm gonna find, I'm gonna find some time. And if you're comfortable with a woman training you, then I'll be the one to do the job. So yeah, they were happy. They, they wanted to take part in the program. They love what we're doing and they're mm -hmm. always supportive. Yeah. The yeah, and I, yeah, I guess it's because if you think about the sea, it's where it's like the forest of the water instead of the land. And of course, as Melanesian values, the land is so important to us. Yeah. But there is this emphasis that so so much on the land that sometimes we kind of neglect the ocean and how we see it. And someone from Vanuatu, I think growing up, we always focus on, on the land. But yeah. with the impact of climate change, it's really kind of push us to understand more about our ocean. Although we yeah. live and we eat and we do everything, <laughs> yeah. but not realizing. Um, so this is really good program. So tell us a little bit more about Dr. Andy Lewis and how did you come in contact with him? And of course, I know that, that he was his him with a vision of uh, empowering young women in Melanesia and then also preserving the Marine. Um, since we're such a close neighbor to Australia, I understand we don't have a lot of, before you guys started, Marine yeah. conservation area. So how did that connection was, was met? So um, I met Dr. Andy back in 2018. Um, mm -hmm. He went to Milan Bay province of, um, yeah, he went to Milan Bay province here in Papua New Guinea um, mm -hmm. for, um, for, I think a solo expedition to um, um, Milan Bay province. Because he, so, he's a marine biologist. Yes, he's the and founder what else? of the, of the right. Policy Foundation right. in Australia. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So from, from his trip back from um, Milan Bay, he met um, Laurie Pipiga back mm -hmm. in 2000, I don't know, before that, 
So I think in 2016, so he met Lori Pipiga and she's the, she's the inspiration for the whole Sea Women of Melanesia program. Ah, okay. Yeah. So Lori is from Ferguson Island in Milan Bay province. Okay. Yeah. So Dr. Andy used to work on the True North is one of the um, the tourist, I, I think it's a dive, dive liverboard. Mm. Yeah. It's like an environmental yeah. conservation. So, okay. Yeah, so usually they, they go to Ferguson Island and Dr. Andy is the one that can speak the local language. And he's mm -hmm. the one that um, um, sort of like connect the people on the boat with um, the locals, like talk to them, explain to them what's going on and all that. So from there, he met Lori Pipiga. So his story was, it was very interesting because um, they usually visit the island every now and then. And then one time they went there in the morning, very early in the morning, and they've never seen anyone in the village. And to himself, he thought like there was a disease or something because mm -hmm. there was literally no one. And then they went in right into the middle of the village and they had the generator going on. And then he went, he went to the people and he saw that they were they had a flat screen TV on the on the on the roof on the coconut or trunk. And then um, the whole group of people were just there looking at the screen and they forgot about the tourists, you know, coming in to go and <laughs> see the paradise and all that. That is so, so yeah. typical of us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then from there, he decided to just, you know, he's got his GPS there and he's got the um, track all the way going up to the mountains and back. So he was like, it's okay, I'm just going to take these tourists up to the mountains, see the bed of paradise and then come back. And then mm -hmm. on his way into the forest, he met this um, lady called Lori Pipiga. So mm -hmm. she's the one that um, confronts Dr. Andy and he, she said, um, um, I, am the, I am the daughter of the clan here and the mm -hmm. village here. And this is my, my area. And um, <laughs> I would help you guys go up to the, <laughs> to the forest and, and then I'll take you guys back. So Dr. Andy was so like, happy that she, you know, kind of helped, trying to help them. And mm -hmm. then like, while they were walking and talking, like Dr. Andy was asking her like, Lori, what do you want to do like later on? And she so was like, I'm, I'm currently doing my um, year 12 and mm -hmm. I wanted to study biology. I wanted to study science so that I can mm -hmm. stop these logos from coming in and, yeah. you know, harvesting the timbers from our mm -hmm. forest. And um, I wanted to look after our reef and everything like, conserving mm. our resources that we have. Mm. And then like Dr. Andy was like, yeah, we, we need, you know, someone like you mm. in the community that can actually, you know, talk to the people and try to change their mindset about, you know, getting things from the loggers and all that. Mm. So that's when like the whole idea about, you know, creating an organization or a program that they can actually empower indigenous women to take mm. the role in, you know, looking after their natural resources. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So so that's the whole um, idea behind the mm -hmm. program. And then Lori was the first one to take part um, through the training program. So they brought her down to Australia, trained her with um, basic survey techniques. Mm -hmm. And then she got back to her village and helped their community set up the now what it's called Nuwa Marine Reserve. Oh, so, okay. So yeah, that's that's the whole story. So 
Yeah, Dr. Andy was the one who initiated the whole um, program. And now we have, um, we have established um, this program. Like we have mm -hmm. the, um, the NGO, like the conservation NGO now registered in Papua New Guinea. Oh, with good. um yeah with four uh female directors mm -hmm. all png women and Very nice. um, and of course with support from um Corosi foundation and all the mm -hmm. partners from um, australia and other countries worldwide mm -hmm. yeah so how do you see this organization say in two three years time are you because obviously we have climate change is a big issue um do you want to educate because I know that that's what your goal is so your goal yeah. is to educate and train women yeah to, okay so yeah. how do you so, see the organization in two to three years time yeah so we we have our we have our sort of like a goal structured goals that we we want to achieve in a period of time so um, in the meantime, we want to train more women in our community and mm -hmm. engage with um, uh, more communities as much as possible. So um, we want to train more women so that we have enough human resource to, you know, um, cater for the communities that are requesting us to go and um, help them set up their marine reserve. And mm -hmm. also we want to um, connect with other nearby um, Melanesia country as well, yeah. like Solomon Islands. We have um, women from there as well. We want to connect with Vanuatu and mm -hmm. other Melanesian um, countries as well, especially the mm -hmm. women. We want to empower them to you know, take a lead role. And so we, we, we're going to have this network of women all across mm -hmm. Melanesia that are actually you know, doing something for their communities. and we can empower each other and um, mm -hmm. work as a team across Melanesia as a whole. Good. Well, I think uh, if you're listening, all the Melanesia women to the Melanesia women podcast, there you go. <laughs> you have no excuse. We need Fiji, we need Vanuatu, we need New Caledonia. Um, what else? The Torres Strait with some of the parts of the islands on that side. So lots and lots of hands on deck we need. <laughs> yeah, so um, um, recently we, we also have um, the team in um, Great Barrier Reef. So we have oh, sea women yeah. in Great Barrier Reef as well coming up. So we are building capacity. Now I've seen some posting on your Facebook page late recently. So you've yeah. been to some of these uh, places. So tell me about the recent activity that you guys just did. Um, I think, let me see here. You have, oh, okay. So that you have the Sea Women Great Barrier Reef. Yeah. And they are the indigenous people then, uh, um, First Nation people from Australia? Or do you have um, so, the Sea South? South Sea Islanders and the um, Torres Strait. So yeah, from um, um, Sea Women of uh, Great Barrier, we have women from um, Australia and other um, areas, indigenous mm -hmm. people, uh, women there. And also we have some Papua New Guinean women that are also there. Um, they, they are, they're with um, James Cook University. So oh, they have recently yeah. uh, 
joining the program as well. And nice. Yeah, whenever they come back to Papua New Guinea, they, they can mm -hmm. always join the team here in Papua New Guinea as well. So yeah, we have different mixture of people in mm -hmm. um, Sea Women of GBR, so Papua New Guinea and even other uh, island nations that are willing to join. They are mm -hmm. most welcome to join the, the team as well. Okay, so you are based in Port Moresby or are you based in, I mean, the, the headquarter of the um, uh, Women of Melon? See women so, uh, of Malaysia. Yeah, so the the main office is in Port Mosby. Okay. And um, we have uh, an office in Milan Bay province and mm -hmm. one in one in Kimbe. That's the one on you're looking after. Mm -hmm. Yes. Very nice. So I want to touch a little bit more about this combination of Western science, marine and indigenous knowledge. So give me a story that <clears throat> reflects that, you know, the two meeting each other and building on some, some projects that you guys might be doing, say, uh, understanding you more about the fish from like what science talks about and then what uh, traditional knowledge of particular village that you guys were at. How, yeah. how, how does that fit together? Yeah, so um, if you're if you're asking about the story, then I, I think the best the best scenario would be um, yeah I I have experienced it myself. Um, I've been to I've been to Manus, one of my um, yeah my mother is from there, so yeah I went there to do um, a little bit of um, work there with um, my mother's um, relatives, so. Um, I used to have community meetings, I think four to five different community meetings discussing <laughs> um, <laughs> discussing what I do and yeah. what I'm gonna help them. And you know, you you need to really like break it down to yes. um, everyone so that they understand the concept. Mm -hmm. So um, I asked them, I asked them about um, the conservation, if they mm -hmm. they ever know what it is. And they were like, yes, yes, we, we've been doing that. Like, <laughs> We've been doing that over time, and I asked them, "So how do you how do you go about doing the conservation work?" And they said, uh, "We usually like talk to the communities to not um, fish in those areas, like certain areas here, and then uh, we leave those areas. And then over time, like if we have a ceremony in the village mm -hmm. or um, anything to celebrate in the village, then we always ask everyone to you know go and fish from those areas, and then that's how we do the you know." conservation technique here and then we put another area for you know conservation purposes and then I said oh well um that's that's a good idea and then I asked them um, so how how often do you you know how long like the maximum time how long do you go back to those areas that you once put for you know not to take anything and then people go and fish and they said oh yeah it takes some time it takes some time like maybe few you know few months in the past but now it's going to years like few mm -hmm. years and then like we're gonna harvest from those same areas and I said exactly what it is like mm -hmm. if you continue to do this practice nothing wrong with it like I agree with what your idea of conservation is and but the thing is now that you see our population is increasing and once mm -hmm. there's more people wanting to feed from those areas you're gonna be harvesting more 
then those roots can actually regenerate. Like I put mm. that in a you know, very simple um, terms so that I can understand it. So that mm -hmm. you can see them go like, oh yeah, that's right. And I said, if you, if you put this idea, like the science that I learned, it said like, if you conserve only 30% of those reefs, only 30% of that, you can fish from all the other reefs that you have around you, but only 30% that area. If you conserve mm -hmm. it, then those fish can actually regenerate and populate the whole area. Mm -hmm. So this is the science that I know. And mm -hmm. I wanted to combine that with what you, you've been practicing over time. It's great, like you've been obeying the rules of not fishing in those areas. Well, there is one or two, but at least you manage to keep that, you know, over time so mm -hmm. that um, there is enough fish for communities to um, benefit from. But now mm -hmm. that you have this idea of 30%, if you continue to look after the, that area in a very long time, then mm -hmm. the fish can actually populate the whole lot of other areas. And you, you wouldn't worry about, you know, conserving another place like, and then mm -hmm. waiting for a period of time to come back and fish from that area because mm -hmm. you already have a place that can actually populate the whole area. And you mm -hmm. can see their face go like, wow, that mm -hmm. is something we really want. So I guess, yeah, they, they get the message behind mm -hmm. the whole, um yeah the discussion about uh, marine conservation so we usually have a little bit of discussion about this and yeah i used to tell them all about you know how this science and their traditional knowledge can actually mm -hmm. combine and help them to drive conservation forward mm -hmm. so yeah so, so when you talk about the 30 percent how does that translate for them in terms of like figures because we know we're not you know we don't have rich and traditional ways of looking at things so do you have like a, a a model that you came up with because i'm interested in that like okay do you go out and measure a big huge size area on the water <laughs> oh that's a very good question so yeah i was asked the same thing during the meeting like okay how much is 30 percent like <laughs> You can see people asking me and the students would go like, yeah, we know what 30% is, but then I have to demonstrate, you know. <laughs> yeah, so I usually draw, I usually draw like um, from where my mother land is. Um, we have a sandy area with that we usually go and meet. So I usually draw and said, if this is the length of your reef, Okay. From here to there, from here to there, that's 30%. Uh, but it doesn't, it doesn't mean that you can strictly like, let's say um, my hand is like the 30%. And if I said from here to here, they would think like, okay, from this end to that end, like that's strictly like we're going to put for marine reserve. But uh -huh. in actual fact, like you can, you can collect like separate reefs in those areas, se okay. separate sections in those areas uh -huh. that are very good and ideal to, you know, um, uh -huh. put it for marine reserve. You can uh -huh. actually like combine little patches like this, as long as they add up to 30% of those right. areas. Then, yeah. Because I'm, because I'm, I'm thinking that, you know, traditionally, we would put stones and then it's markers, you know, in the village. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, okay, yeah. how are we gonna do that in the ocean? <laughs> I get to see this old yeah. people, old man going, what is she talking yeah. about? <laughs> yeah, yeah, so um, I did explain that to them. 
And then we actually go out and measure because after the meeting, they wanted me to help them set up the reset like while mm -hmm. I'm still there. I only spent like okay. five weeks there. So within my stay, they wanted me to help them set up the research because I told them, I don't know when I'll be back. But this is oh, the idea. I wanted okay. to tell you guys, if you guys want it, I'm still here. I can help you guys. <laughs> you get it done. <laughs> so, so yeah, it took me like five meetings before they agreed. Like they were like, okay, now, now me, I want you to, we want you to, you know, help us now. Here's the boat. Um, here's the fuel right. for the boat the ropes and they also provide those um buoy uh -huh. the floater uh -huh. so that's how that's how we go out and we um, measure those areas so i i asked them which areas they wanted to you know put like okay. for conservation purposes and they told uh -huh. me i have the, the the elders the chief right. of the village mm -hmm. um the award member on the board i made so these ones are on the board and yes. and then we the 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 reef owners as well, or the clan owners, the representative mm -hmm. of the clans that have connections over the reef, they're mm -hmm. also on the boat. So I took them out. And mm -hmm. then I there are a few uh, young boys that are on the boat as well. And these people, um, they they are really good divers. They are, yeah. they are yeah. very good, very good divers. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so we use those boys to um, actually uh, mark those Help areas. Mm. Yeah. Do you so have do you, do you do you come across any custom or traditional row in the village for about land? Because I know that always should happen. Oh, oh yes, yes, it's everywhere. If you ask me, like both my parents is like their places have those, you know, meat or the custom animal. And especially and you being a woman coming in, I'm fascinated because both Melanesian <laughs> women, you know, know yeah, yeah, so. In, in PNG, you know, like this, like uh, Petrilineal Society and Metrilineal right. Society. I come from a Petrilineal Society, unfortunately, <laughs> and being a woman, standing up and talking yeah. to everyone, like, you know, oh you have goodness. to do this, do that, because you're going to have this benefit in the end. Man, it took me some time, like, I need to stand up and talk. But then, like, luckily, like, things are changing now. Oh, so good. if you have, you know, if you have com completed your, you uni degree and if you have knowledge uh, about what you're talking about. So that's about, a respect. They're gonna, yes, they're going to oh, look at you and they'll be, like, okay. they'll be like, no, this woman knows a lot of things about what she's talking about. We better listen to her. So but that's I use good her. because some places that they don't give you have a degree. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my yeah. yeah, so yeah, luckily, like my people, they're very mm. like, yeah, they're very patient with me. And when I mm -hmm. explained to them things about Marine Reserve and all that, they were like, yeah, we want you to come and help okay. us. And they're willing mm -hmm. to work with me, especially the leaders. And I mm -hmm. I appreciate all the leaders that I've been mm -hmm. working with. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're, they're very supportive. And mm -hmm. yeah. When you're working with the, the men in the community, there's some women as well that are that there because you know women are the one that go out and gather seashells and things like that. Do yeah. they have an input in the decisions? Yeah, so um with the with the marine reserve, the creation and monitoring of marine reserve, we usually have a management team okay. in the community. We ask them to come up with a management team that can actually mm -hmm. like once we are not there. And we are like they can they can help them to look after and monitor the reef. So we have people that um, 
people from different um, groups. So we have women representative as well. So for my case, like for, for the one in Manus, we mm -hmm. have two women, two men in the executive mm -hmm. of, um, yeah, the management team. So mm -hmm. we, we try our best to make sure like there is women, there is men like both taking part in the role as well. But okay. for the training, for the training and um, um, how to create those marine reserves, we encourage women to take part, but the management of those um, marine reserves, we encourage both um, men and women to be um, mm -hmm. taking part. Because if we said just women to take part, then um, there are just issues like men, men would go in and, you know, <laughs> men would go in and start harvesting and then you women don't talk about it, yeah. don't say anything yeah, because I'm sure you're going to benefit like all that stuff. So yeah. we try to encourage everyone to take part okay. in um, the, yeah, management thing. But that's so, yeah. really, that's really, really good. So you have how many team altogether of women now? So uh, we have three main um, offices here and we have more mm -hmm. than 40 women um, in, yeah, train on the, the program. And mm -hmm. yeah, and Papua New Guinea and the Solomon Islands? Yes, okay. both Papua New Guinea and Solomon Islands. Oh, good. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm hoping that this program we can expand. Of course, we will definitely, you know, Get a shout out to everybody in Melanesia. We need yeah. your help <laughs> to preserve our marine resources. So when yeah. you go in and talk to the people, do you also talk about climate change? Do they understand the impact and all of that? The, their activity as well. I mean, obviously most of the climate change um, people who cause a lot of this are from people from where I'm sitting <laughs> and, and the other yeah. parts of the world. But do they understand? Yeah. So, um, so when I during my trip to Manus, um, mm -hmm. the first thing I noticed was the bleaching event. So when That's I went there, yeah. it was during the bleaching, um, bleaching event, uh, bleaching period. Mm -hmm. So people were looking at the reef and like I was talking about marine reserve, and then one of them got up and say, um, so because I told them about the bleaching. And then one of them got up and say, um, we've, we've seen this, it was one of the uh, elders. Mm -hmm. And then he said, uh, we've seen this like in the past years as well. And I asked, because I asked them, what do you think this is? And they said, um, oh, it's more like a seasonal, you know, changes in the coral. Like they usually go through like seasonal changes and then they'll come back. Mm -hmm. And then I said to them, this is, this is um, coral bleaching. If you mm -hmm. see the coral turn white, that's coral bleaching. Sometimes, mm -hmm. if the bleaching effect is not um, is not extreme, then the corals would recover from that uh, mm -hmm. impact. But if if it's um, very hot and sunny and the water temperature goes really high, then the corals will eventually like die, and mm -hmm. there'll be like no more corals. Like it will start off from you know a baby pot. Uh, tiny coral and then growing up. So it's gonna take mm -hmm. a lot of time. So I usually talk to them about some effects of climate change. And then recently they've seen the, um, the king tide oh, that's yeah. been affecting mm -hmm. the areas. So mm -hmm. they, unfortunately, they were one of the communities that um, they have experienced the worst, yeah, out mm -hmm. of all the other communities that I know. So 
yeah, they've, they've seen it. And they just told me like, um, we're gonna do what, you know, what we mm -hmm. can do. Like if you, if you tell us to um, create marine reserve and we know what benefits would come with it, then we're gonna right. do it. But for things like sea level rising and mm -hmm. coral bleaching and all that, like they, mm -hmm. they don't have any control over it. So they asked mm -hmm. me and I said, unfortunately, like mm -hmm. I cannot, I cannot come, come up with a good explanation as to, you know, why this is mm -hmm. happening to you guys. Mm -hmm. But I, I usually tell them like, what is it that, you know, creates all these things like sea level mm -hmm. rising and, you know, hot temperature, mm -hmm. coral bleaching, all that. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. So have you seen any changes in terms of uh, the results of, you know, communities having their own marine preservation areas? conservation yeah. areas yeah so um yeah there is changes so for this one the one in manus um mm. we i went there in 2020 to 2021 during mm. the christmas period so um after i think probably after six months mm. six seven months they already called me and they said oh no me we have seen we have seen like fish coming into those areas mm -hmm. like it's amazing how this thing really works like at that short period of time right. but i yeah before during the meeting i usually tell them like they ask me how long it's going to take for the fish to come like populate those mm -hmm. um areas and i said you would start to see like changes in a year or two but then mm. that was after like six to seven months and they already mm. told me like they've seen fish in those areas. I was really happy. Like that's one good, you know, thing, yeah. especially for islanders living um, the coastal area. Yeah. 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 And also away mm. from the urban areas. So right. yeah, it's, it's amazing. So the impact of you, you, you seeing more and more impact of climate change then in especially in the marine um, areas of our ocean. Sorry, come again. Said, are you seeing more and more impact of climate change? In were you talking about king tides and especially yeah. those little atolls? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, hmm. yeah. So in in areas like um let's say on the land you wouldn't see much like you would feel mm -hmm. like different i mean difference in the temperature like it's get it's getting mm -hmm. hot lately the sunny days are very mm -hmm. hot and extreme mm -hmm. but in the coastal areas you would mm -hmm. see like almost everything you would see coral bleaching there you would see the sea level rising and the trees would fall you know fall off into the ocean and the water would start to come up to where like it it wasn't before so yeah mm. it's it's happening firsthand in especially in island communities mm -hmm. because yeah they are on the island and the seas mm -hmm. around them and also like when the temp, uh when the sea level rises like it affects most of them living on the coastline so yeah so that that means the sea coming into to the land and when they're planting their crops yeah. it's packed with salt water then yes all the wow. crops from the gardens even the animals that they look after on land like mm -hmm. they are also like you know the sea can reach them and yeah pigs and other the chickens everything mm -hmm. so they all have the domestic animals that they have 
Yes, okay. so they have to transport those um, animals to other higher ground so that they're safe. Mm. So yeah, it's, yeah. So you're educating people about taking care of the coral, but you're also talking about climate change, the impact of climate change. What else are you, in terms of education, uh, educating the people? Yeah, so um, yeah, I, I usually talk to them about um, managing the, uh, the coral reef, like that marine mm. reserve, but mm. you can see that it all like interconnects somehow. Yeah. So you mm -hmm. see climate change, it's with the coral, um, coral reef marine reserve and all that. And also, yeah, we, we empower women to take um, leadership roles. So mm -hmm. like um, we, have, we have this, um, what's the name of the menstrual health for the women, yeah, Hygienic. we also, yeah. yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. So we also talk about that. So we have these um, days for girls um, organization mm -hmm. in Australia mm -hmm. that are actually supplying those DFG kits. Mm -hmm. So days for girls kits nice. to us so that we can um, um, donate to all the women in the community. And there is a there is an online training for that. Like if mm -hmm. you want to be an ambassador for that, like mm -hmm. to distribute those kits, like you have to know certain things. So there is an okay. online training that the women are actually um, taking part at the moment. So okay. once you completed the whole training, then you can um, start um, donating or you can distribute those um, DFG kits to the women in the community. Mm -hmm. So yeah. So that's done by the the women themselves on the in your that are in the team. Yes, in the okay. team, the women of Melanesia team. Okay, well that's yeah. good. So if any if anybody or any organization would like to be part of the Sea Women of Melanesia, how do they um, first contact or how do they become part of the team to help out? You were just talking about the hygienic packs. Yeah. How do they go about that? So um, if any other organization would like to join the Sea Women of Melanesia, we have our um, email address, which is seawomenofmelanesia at gmail.com, all in lowercase. So you can always inquire using that um that email address and we can respond to you as soon as we can. Mm -hmm. And for, for the DFG um, kids, they have a website online. So mm -hmm. I, didn't, I didn't get the link, but I will send you the link okay. for their we'll website. You can, mm -hmm. Yes, you can also inquire with them. And okay. I'm sure they're happy to help as many women as possible. Mm. So, well, I'm so thankful we got we got to talk. Uh, tell me one last thing about one thing that you really enjoy about what you do. Okay, so one thing. I think I think the the thing I enjoy is um, working with all the women. Yeah. Especially me coming from a patrilineal society, like working yeah. with all the other women and mm -hmm. team leaders and helping them to take a leadership role in the community and like the mm -hmm. feeling of having all the women working together that's it's empowering um, yeah very that's empowering good. and you would feel like you want to train more women so that we good. have this team like you know really helping others out mm -hmm. and strengthening that you know sisterhood 
yes. know, Melanesia. And then what's what's your typical day look like if you have a whole, you know, four or five women yeah. on the board going out? What does it look yeah. like? What did you guys do? What do you talk about? Because I'm sure there's so many laughter and probably people getting yeah. hungry being out in the sea. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah, so on a typical um, expedition day, um, we usually do our expeditions on Saturdays. Okay. So um, on Friday, I usually ask all the girls to come to um, the office. We have a house, sort of like an office where we have women from um, our communities and other areas that usually come to the house and spend the night. Um, oh, your gathering place, huh? Yeah. <laughs> so on Friday, so we usually talk about what we're going to do next day and prepare things, do shopping or whatever things that we need, like get prepped up for tomorrow. And then Saturday, we usually um, walk from where the office is to the beach. So that should take like less than 20 minutes. Uh -huh. And then and then we access the reef using a longboat. Okay. So, yeah. It's um yeah very exciting when it comes to like expedition and the next expedition and the girls would yeah you can see on their faces they would wanna go to the next expedition just after right after coming back from the uh, expedition they would always talk about the next expedition they mm -hmm. wanna know this they wanna know that oh, and wow. yeah it's lovely working with uh, women in my community and how long does it take for a training for to train one of the women. So we usually like we usually do Saturdays. So on the first Saturday, I usually like find out if they know how to use the fins, mask, and snorkel. So um, in most in most cases, no, the women they don't have any. You know, they usually swim barefoot and right. all that. So I usually get them through the snorkel training first, nice. and then like we go step by step, but. I would say like in um in days, let's say three to five days, it mm -hmm. takes three to five days to train our women through okay. that program. Yeah. Oh, but what do you do need them? Okay. What do you Saturday, so Yeah, it's gonna take like several Saturdays, but the, mm. the idea or the survey techniques, it takes a lot um a little bit of time to get the hang of how you're gonna identify mm. areas and use mm. the you know different different ways to take photographs of the reef so yeah it takes a little bit of time for them to get the hang of it but yeah they're doing great so what would do you need um because i know it's hard to have access to the fins and the flippers and all that so what do the sea of melanesian uh women of melanesia need so we usually um write grants Okay. To um yeah other organization and also um we have we have um we have won several awards as well I the Ocean Tribute Award and um, mm -hmm. the Commonwealth Youth ah uh, sorry the uh, United Nations Champions United Nations. Award. Mm -hmm. so yeah so all the um funding from those or the award um from those um organization or the um, events we usually like buy the things and the resources basically for women to use and run our admin and all that. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Very nice. Well, I'm so thankful that we got to talk today. So if there's one thing you want to say to the women in Melanesia, or maybe in the Pacific, for those who want to start a group like the women of Melanesia, see Melanesian women of Melanesia, um, what do you want to say to them? Uh, being part of the program, I would say mm -hmm. to them, like, if you're a woman listening, and if you uh, want to join the program, it's open to anyone that you want to join. And um, doing conservation work is um, something that you, it's not going to benefit just you and your family, but it's going to benefit the whole community and society as a as a whole. And also, mm -hmm. like, we want more women to take part in the program so that we can save these um, resources that our current generation and the future generation will um, benefit from. So, Wonderful. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. To the land far away, to the land across the
This podcast is created and produced by Melanesian Women Today, a non-profit organization. Please visit our website at www.melanesianwomentoday.org. That is all one word. Melanesian Women Today envisions a Pacific region where every woman, girl, and child in their respective communities in Melanesia lives a productive, healthy, and fulfilling life. We are on a mission to improve the well-being and quality of lives and also to promote and improve leadership in women and girls in their communities. Please consider making a donation today on our website to support our work. Thank you for your support.